I was 20 years old when I came out for the first time. It was not an easy process. I grew up in a small conservative town, and the lessons I learned there were not ones that were easily dismantled. Even as I tried to live joyously into my truth, there were these moments of deep pain and loss and fear as I struggled to understand the implications of my self-discovery and the impact it seemed to have on those around me. I can still remember walking down West 79th Street with my girlfriend at the time. It was this beautiful summer sunny day and we were strolling hand in hand past Colony Music's window display and I was offering running commentary on the current Broadway season. When a woman stormed up to us and asked me brusquely if we were sisters. <laughs> I said, no. And her face screwed up into this hateful rage. And she told me I was an abomination and I was going to hell. My girlfriend, who was older than I was and had been out longer, gripped me by the hand and pulled us away, yelling something back at that woman that I honestly do not remember because I was in a state of shock. See, I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. And up to that point, I was pretty certain I had done everything right. I'd given my life to Jesus. I'd sung in all the choirs. I'd memorized Bible verses. I'd gone on missions trips. I'd offered my testimony. I have journals filled with Bible study notes and private prayers, discussions with God about all the things that are going on in my life. And even as I had struggled to square my faith with my life, I'd been diligent and I thought I had a pretty good handle on my relationship with God. But I have to be honest, when I encountered that level of hate, and from someone who claimed to believe what I believed, I was shaken. And it was hard to hold on to God. It was hard to feel like God was still with me. Because privileged as I was, I had always had a family. I had always had church. And when I suddenly had neither, it was so much harder to stay grounded and believe. The psalmist this morning knows a little bit about that struggle. That's one of the reasons I love this text, and I thought it would be a good place to start as we kick off pride. Because both in the part we're reading this morning and in the totality, Psalm 27 is about the desire to find God even in the face of great obstacles. The psalm itself is usually broken up into two parts. Verses 1 to 6 make up what scholars call the psalm of trust, an affirmation of God's power and presence, even in the midst of dire situations. And verses 7 to 14 do kind of a similar thing, but are considered an individual petition. This means that the psalm both reflects the fears, anxieties, and struggles of its writer, and also offers a word of courage and hope. But we pick up our text this morning to find that the psalmist is not in a great 
situation? All around them, people are spreading lies, attacking them. The text says, breathing out violence. And on top of that, the people who they thought would love them most have suddenly ghosted, leaving them alone to face the chaos. That's a reality I think many of us can relate to. So things are not going well for the psalmist, and even though they've just offered up a prayer of trust, it's clear that things aren't quite that simple. Hear, O God, when I cry out loud. Be gracious and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek God's face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn away from your servant in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God, of my salvation. The psalmist is praying, and they're also afraid. And if you listen closely, you might recognize a familiar tension between what your heart knows and what your head thinks. The things we deeply believe to be true and the practical reality of the world we are experiencing, which often seems to be in direct contrast to those beliefs. This is the prayer of somebody who deeply wants to be faithful, deeply wants to believe, and who is finding it harder than they expected to hold the line. The psalmist believes in their heart that God is faithful, but their head is having a little bit of a harder time. There's a lot going on around them. People are spreading lies. People are setting them up for failure. People are preaching out violence against them from the pulpit. People are passing laws that limit their humanity. People are discriminating against them so they cannot get stable housing or a steady job. People are targeting them simply for walking down the street. People are not even certain they're fully human and they're saying it in the name of the psalmist's God. In light of all this, is it really any wonder that the psalmist is struggling to hold fast to God's promise? Sometimes it's hard to believe that God will have your back. I am reminded of Mark 9, 24, and another person in pain, a father whose child is dying, crying out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's kind of a remarkable prayer. Sometimes, especially in the midst of hard things, it can feel like God is nowhere to be found. So there's a lot of fear and anxiety in this psalm. But what I want us also to notice is that neither the fear nor the anxiety stop the psalmist from bringing them to God. Now that may sound simple, but I think the reality is that it's often much harder than it sounds. Especially if you're getting messages left, right, and center that some parts of you have no place in, say, a church. Have you ever felt like you couldn't bring all of you to God? Like worship had no place for your sadness or your anger or your rage, maybe your doubt? I know I have. And yet that's one of the reasons that I love this psalm. Because not only does it name this very human fear and emotion 
that we struggle with in hard times, but it also reminds us that God has room for all of those things. Dr. Willie Jennings says that doubts are an essential part of the conversation we have with God and important for developing our faith. Because when we insist on staying engaged in that relationship, we have permission to ask all of our questions. This is not blind faith. We haven't torn ourselves out of the conversation. Anything that can be brought into prayer is part of God's ecology. It reminds me of a story of three rabbis who, well in Auschwitz, decided to put God on trial. And in doing so, they collectively determined that God was guilty, that God had not given God's people something. And after the trial ended, one of the rabbis looked up and said, it's time for evening prayer. And they went to pray. This morning's scripture reminds us that God is big enough to hold all our problems, our fears, our insecurities, our anger, and even our doubts. I remember this one moment where I was really overwhelmed, really sad, and I was listening to Andre Patterson's version of the Lord is blessing me. And I turned to Jackie and I said, Jackie, I don't know if I can sing this song because it doesn't feel like the Lord is blessing me. I feel all alone. And she said, that's not why you sing. You sing until you believe it. You pray your way back into faith. We insist that God is here, even when the lies and the violence swirl around us. We insist that God loves us even when our hearts are broken and it feels like nothing on earth could be further away from the truth. We bring all of our hopes and our fears and our doubts to God and we name them not because God is some magical genie who's going to fix it, but because we believe God cares. Because we believe that God is a God who is with us in our suffering. We believe, as Dolores Williams tells us, that God is a God of survival. We keep praying because if we stopped, it would mean believing the lies of all the people around us who are spewing hate. And those lies are not God's heart for us. Even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. And I believe that I will see the Lord again in the land of the living. So I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I want you to know that God has not left you simply because your family did, or because your friends did, or because your church did. None of those things are God. God is a God who is on our side, who shows up in the middle of our darkest hour. God is our Glitter family. Those of you who don't know, Glitter family is a term coined by author S. Bear Bergman for our chosen families. Those people in our lives who, blood relation or not, have our backs, help us along, and love us when we cannot imagine loving ourselves. 
He calls it glitter family because he says, glitter is known to be shiny and unruly, easy to get and hard to get rid of. I love its drag connotations and the femme visibility of it, as well as its unmistakably queer sensibility. Look only as far as glitter bombing for proof that nothing is as thoroughly and satisfyingly queer as glitter. When I came out, things were not good. And if I'm honest, I could not imagine seeing God again, having faith again. But when I look out at you, Middle Church, I see God again in the land of the living. I see color, I see possibility, and I see glitter, figuratively and literally. So this morning I want to affirm to you that we are all part of God's glitter family. Because the thing about glitter is it never really goes away. So even when you have those moments of doubt and despair, even when you feel like the lies and the violence are swirling around you, we believe we will see God again in the land of the living and we know because we can see the glitter. The sharp, small moments of beauty and life twinkling in the most unexpected places. That is what this church is. And that is what God calls us to be. Be strong, says the psalmist, and wait on the Lord. And while you're doing that, we're called to be a community that loves, a community that cares, a community that looks at you when you are at your lowest and still says, I see you. I believe you. I believe in your inherent worth in your full humanity. You are family to me. And I am going to love you and march with you and to pray for you and show up because that's what family does. And that's what God calls us to do. To be brave, to bring our doubts and fears to God, to name the evil in the world and to insist that we were meant to survive because God meant us to survive. Even if my mother and father reject me, even if my church kicked me out, if my job fired me, even if siblings no longer speak to me, I believe I will see God again in the land of the living. And I believe that we are called to build a world where other people will see God again too. We don't have to be there yet. We don't have to be there this very moment. But being part of a family means that we take care of each other. Being part of a movement means we show up for one another on the street and in our interpersonal relationships. God chooses you. You are part of the Glitter family. A family that's committed to a world of justice and peace and flourishing. We may not get there today, or tomorrow, but we are going to get there, and we will do it together. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>